This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, February 6th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Today is Travel Tuesday, and it can be a challenge to plan a trip with multiple generations of family. we got some help in our next segment. But right now, talk of a new Bears stadium near the lakefront is renewing the discussion about a potential Super Bowl in Chicago. Let's get the latest from the possibilities from Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago. Chicago business. Uh, Greg, thank you for joining us today. And I've heard this song before, and I'm sure you've heard this song before <laughs> as well. Uh, I seem to recall back in 2011, then Mayor Rahm Emanuel talking about the idea of renovating Soldier Field so it could be uh, a host for a Super Bowl or an NCAA Final Four. And uh, we're having this conversation once again 13 years later. Yeah, we are, but it's it's a little bit different this time. We're not talking about renovating Soldier Field. We're about talking about building a brand new stadium with a dome on top. And the NFL tends to like those. If you look at their history, uh, cities that have built dome stadiums tend to be rewarded within a year or two with a with a Super Bowl. So, uh, the commissioner of football was asked about this yesterday, and he said, "Well, if Chicago puts up a dome stadium, a uh, downtown or Arlington Heights, I'm not going to pick. Uh, gee, we'd be real interested in them." And, uh, and and you're right about that. I mean, the fact they're playing the, the Super Bowl in Las Vegas on Sunday is proof that uh, if you build it with a roof on top, uh, Roger Goodell will come with the rest of the NFL. Uh, yeah, you build it and they will come. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, it's, is it Super Bowls? If you're in the if you're in the tourism business or uh, the restaurant business or whatever, you just salivate uh, uh, at the prospect of a Super Bowl because you're talking tens of thousands of big spending people blowing lots of money. Uh, it would be a huge pop, uh, uh, probably for downtown Chicago more than the suburbs. I'm not sure if the suburbs could could uh, you could they could probably squeeze in those people, but it'd be a stretch. But this would be perfect for downtown Chicago, and it gives a uh, a little more push, I think, to what the Bears recently have seemed to suggest, that uh, while they haven't taken Arlington Heights off the board, they really want to go downtown. Now, this is going to be a multi-billion dollar project to uh, get a Bears stadium literally off the ground, uh, and that is even before you factor in the cost of all the litigation and all of the things that have to go right for a Bears stadium to be built uh, if, they're, if they are really thinking about building south of Soldier Field. But when you do the math, and it's, it's all said and done, uh, the expense of building the stadium and clearing the site and getting all that stuff ready, is that offset by the tourism dollars that flow into the city during a Super Bowl or an NCAA Final Four? Well, the the team certainly will argue yes, but if it uh, decides to do this, uh, and, uh, and being able to dangle the prospect of a Super Bowl certainly won't hurt its case any. 
but I haven't done a fiscal analysis. I'm sure the guys with the sharp pencils will sit down and figure it out. Uh, there's a, argument, arguments back and forth for years about whether stadiums are worth the public investment or not. Uh, but having a, a nice, big, shiny object, be it a Super Bowl or an NCAA Final Four or other kind of big events, sure helps. And the fact that uh, even the uh, commissioner, Roger Goodell, said uh, there were uh, productive conversations taking place with City Hall, does that kind of change the nature of, of where this is going? Does it seem a lot more real than other proposals like the one we talked about uh, back in 2011? Yeah, it adds, I think, more credibility to uh, the story that we put out a few days ago that the Bears now have changed their focus from Arlington Heights to the to the lakefront. Um, if when when you when you can you say that I've talked to the mayor, and I had a good conversation, and he's interested. That seems to bump it up a little bit uh, in the in the in the possibility level. Uh, I mean, this game is probably in the second or third quarter. We're far from scoring uh, in terms of making a final decision here, but uh, it makes it look a little more real. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, making a multi-generational trip fun for all. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and in this segment, we're discussing strategies to make a trip with parents, kids, and grandparents work for everybody. We welcome in Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com in Chicago. Cindy, thank you for joining us today. And when it comes to these multi multi-generational trips, when they want to uh, uh, plan one and book one, who is the party taking the lead? Is it the grandparent or is it the parent? You know what? It depends on the family, I think. Um, It's not so much about who's taking the lead as about having some difficult conversations, I think. And the toughest things are first scheduling, especially if you're dealing with families that have kids in school got to work around school vacations and, and worker vacations. Um, and then the, the really big thing is money, right? If you're going to, if grandma and grandpa are going to pay for the whole thing, then they get a lot more control over what happens. You know, he who pays gets to make some decisions. But if it's, uh, hey, we're going to do this big family reunion and we're going to do this big trip and, um, and everybody's going to pay their own way, then you have to be cognizant of individual family budgets. Maybe some family can afford you know, to stay at the Ritz, but another family can't. So you want to find some sort of a mid-range kind of place where, or you rent a big beach house and, you know, grandma and grandpa pay for the rent and then everybody, um, you know, pays for their own food or in activities and things. What is the most common form of uh, of a multi-generational family trip? Is it that uh, beach house or lake house and, and everybody just kind of hangs out? Is it the trip to Disney World or is it like the grand tour of Europe? Oh, wow. Well, I think, I think it depends on the family. And I think for some families, a grand tour of Europe is the way to go. But I think, you know, for for your average family, what I think works really, really well are places that are kind of all-inclusive. So either an actual all-inclusive in Mexico, where there's all kinds of planned events and everybody gets their own room and the food is already there and it's already included. So you just, you know, you come and go, you do your own thing, you come together for dinner or a cruise, which is, um, as a friend of mine calls it, an all-inclusive on the water, uh, it's the same kind of thing. Everybody gets their own space, so if they need to have a little alone time, they can do it. And the food is there. No one has to work. No one has to cook. No one has to clean up. 
But, you know, I've done it with my family lots of different ways. We've done a cruise. We've done an all-inclusive. We've done a beach house. And it's just, you know, if you're doing a beach house, you know, you hope that there's somebody there that really loves to cook. That wouldn't be me. I don't mind cleaning up, but I don't want to have to make a meal for 12 people. We're talking to Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief, SheBuysTravel.com in Chicago, about uh, planning a multi-generational family trip in which the uh, family is all on speaking terms when that trip is over. What's a good balance between everybody does something together versus uh, different people do their own thing? Well, I think that's a really important part of planning a multi-gen vacation is to make sure that there is time for people to do their own thing and to have, you know, it's really all about communication before you go, what you said about speaking to each other when it's over. The point of being together is to celebrate the fact that you love each other, right? So you don't want people getting mad because they couldn't afford something or they did something they didn't want to do. So I think it's really important to have lots of things that are optional and only a few things that are required. I think, you know, spend the day doing what you want, but everybody's here for dinner at six and we're going to, you know, spend the evening together watching a movie, playing games, doing whatever. Um, Or, you know, there's one activity during the day that everyone is sort of expected to show up at, but otherwise you kind of get to do what you want. But again, he who pays often gets to make the rules. And then very... Very quickly, I want to ask you about uh, etiquette. Um, when is a good time to offer to pay for something? And w- and, and do you, when is a good time just to say thank you as well? Oh, I think it's always important to say thank you. Every good family does. We learn that when we're little. Um, and I think the, the money thing is a really important conversation to have up front where you figure out what works for your family. Everybody puts some money in. One person pays whatever's the right thing for your family, as long as you're talking about it and you've all agreed before you go. Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief, SheBuysTravel.com in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, will the Super Bowl one day be a pay-per-view event? Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. As more live sports move to streaming, some people wonder if that may be the future of the Super Bowl. Let's discuss the prospect with Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Verter Group based in Chicago. Tim, thank you for joining us today. And, and throughout our conversations, we have been talking about how uh, eventually the broadcast model and, and, and the cable bundle model of television will eventually just go away. And, and chances are, if the Super Bowl switches over to streaming, they'll be the last one to turn out the lights. Um, there's no doubt that streaming is becoming uh, preferred uh, for, for television viewing. And I think in sports, it's probably you know, on its way. I think um, uh, there's sort of a myriad of offerings that people can get via streaming that the the television construct uh, is just incapable of, whether that be hundreds of college games simultaneously and then the like. Um, But I, I, you know, there is sort of this uh, dichotomy between reach and scale, which the broadcast television still uh, provides, and uh, the audiences that uh, are easily assembled that way. And the NFL clearly has been hand in hand with the broadcast television industry for decades now and continues to, in many cases, even prop it up. And I think when you're talking about a marquee property like the Super Bowl, there's no question that the NFL and advertisers and the network that might be covering it that year like the biggest numbers possible. So broadcast is clearly the most uh, and best way to get that audience. Now, can that be expanded 
uh, certainly, and I think that's what you're starting to see this year, and could streaming be a supplement to that for other audiences, I absolutely think that's a growth opportunity. And, and throughout the history of the Super Bowl broadcast, uh, that game has been a bed for innovation. Uh, we talked about the uh, the Nickelodeon broadcast uh, for kids in which uh, uh, CGI slime uh, erupts from the end zone after a touchdown. Uh, that's the latest and greatest. But we talk about uh, just the different types of cameras that are deployed. I remember uh, uh, the Super Bowl in 2001 where CBS debuted that Matrix camera where you can get a three 360 degree view of of the action and uh, CBS already boasting 150 cameras or so so I guess if you do have a streaming option uh, at some point in the future you could potentially isolate all of those cameras and, and watch the game 150 different ways absolutely that's that's actually cutting-edge stuff that you're describing so I think what you're going to see with the Nickelodeon broadcast this year with the Super Bowl uh, and what you see with uh, you know Peyton Manning and Eli Manning's uh, Manning casts on ESPN and those kinds of things. Those are, I would call them incremental extensions to broadcasts, call them alternate broadcasts. But it, in essence, creates a different environment, uh, maybe a younger skew, maybe more trash talking, a little bit more interactivity or sideline kind of things or sideshow type of things. Um, and that, that attracts the casual viewer or the viewer that may be more interested in uh, the nitty-gritty statistics and that kind of stuff. But streaming, indeed, can offer a whole litany of those uh, experiences. Uh, there's an interesting company here in Chicago called StreamLayer that does that kind of stuff and brings interactivity as well as personalization to one's individual stream so that if you want to see all those camera angles and, and click on them, you'll have that ability. If I don't, I don't have to take that. I can watch it on the big screen or in another uh, way on the streaming environment. So then, more of that to come for sure. And then very quickly, Tim, let's reverse engineer the idea, and that is the Super Bowl is the last kind of monoculture event that we have. It's the last thing that everybody can talk about the next day. And are we willing to give that up for streaming? Uh, it all depends on the money, and that's really the uh, the essence of all of it. But look, I think... It's going to be a long time coming before a, an event of the magnitude of the Super Bowl goes full-time just to streaming. I think it's going to be more uh, supplemental and expansionary versus a replacement in the near term. Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Verter Group in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, getting the most out of a destination wedding. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Okay. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden is urging Congress to pass a bipartisan bill that combines border and immigration policy with overseas military funding, the latest next to the CBS News special report. A federal appellate court issues its ruling on former President Trump's claim that he's immune from prosecution for actions following his 2020 election defeat. The three-judge panel says he is, in fact, not immune. In Travel Tuesday, strategies to make the most out of a destination wedding, and tech giant Meta says it's working to label images created with artificial intelligence. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed right now. The Dow is up 65 points, NASDAQ down 43, S&P 500 up just a fraction. We have 44 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies, going up to 45 today. Now, a CBS News special report at 1231. CBS News special report. President Biden just spoke from the White House urging Congress to pass an emergency national security supplemental package. Because it's going to make the country safer, make the border more secure, treat people more humanely and and fairly, and make legal immigration more efficient and consistent with the values of our nation and our international treaty obligations. But House Republicans are not on board. Speaker Mike Johnson. Republicans simply cannot vote for the bill in good conscience. And that is why I declared it dead on arrival, and it looks like right now it may be in some jeopardy. It may be on life support in the Senate. Connecticut Democrat Chris Murphy. Everybody knows what's going on here, right? Donald Trump doesn't want border reform to pass because he wants the border to remain chaotic. This $118 billion bill would help beef up security at the southern border and get more military aid to Israel and Ukraine. CBS News Special Report. I'm Monica Ricks. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed today. We're joined by Jim Holtzman, president and CEO of Legend Financial Advisors in Pittsburgh. You can follow him on X, the former Twitter, at James Holtzman. Jim, thanks for joining us today. And are the ha, have traders worked out all of their uh, interest rate anxiety, or is that still uh, weighing on the markets today? I think it's still weighing on the markets. I think the markets were surprised by some of the comments from the Federal Reserve. Uh, so I think they're still trying to digest the information. Now, at the same time, I think, you know, the, the, the idea that there was going to be a rate cut in March uh, seemed optimistic even back when that uh, possibility was floated uh, back in December. And uh, every surprise, every economic report since then, that surprise to the upside uh, seemed to col- throw cold water on that before uh, Chairman Powell officially threw cold water on that on 60 Minutes on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think the, it started out by the expectation of Fed rate cuts maybe later in the year in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden it moved up to March. And it does seem like it kind of jumped the gun too soon. And then when it comes to uh, uh, market movers today, it seems like the biggies uh, have all reported. We got all the big information out of the way. A lot of the tech uh, uh, tech companies have uh, have, have uh, posted their fourth quarter earnings, and their guidance for 2024. Uh, what are some of the stocks that are on your radar today? Well, I think you know, just watching some of the Magnificent Seven stocks are always seem to be at the front of the headlines. They're driving so much of the markets right now yeah, that you have to pay attention to that because that really interprets 
the overall health of the markets because the Magnificent Seven's making up about 40% of the returns so far this year on the S&P 500. So those ones are really watch in terms of where the market is heading. And it seems like uh, inside that Magnificent Seven, you have a, a super duper four, uh, exemplary four. We'll, we'll workshop a name for it, but uh, Amazon, Meta, Microsoft, and NVIDIA accounting for three quarters of the S&P's total return for 24 so far. It, it, that's and it's surprising uh, coming out of last year where the numbers were so high as well for those four stocks or even the magnificent seven overall it was about sixty percent of the return from last year so it's a little bit more of the same at this point and then uh, where where does history come in because you you would see these uh, pieces of analysis that say uh, historically you know this month in this year is always weak no matter what and uh, the, it seems historically February in an election year for whatever reason uh, tends to be kind of soft and is that uh, showing up so far? I, I think it is, and I think you know with the interest rate you know the news with the interest rates not getting cut in March that being committed, I think that's going to further calm some of that eventually. But it's going to take a few more days for the markets to digest it. And then when, when just, just talking about the, the interest rate environment, it seems like we swing back and forth between uh, what is, is good as far as interest rates are concerned and what is bad as far as interest rates are concerned. What, what's, what, what is a, an interest rate cut that uh, is good news and what is an interest rate cut that would be bad news? Obviously, an interest rate cut uh, in response to a rapidly deteriorating economic conditions would be bad. But it seems like in this situation, the reason why a cut gets pushed into the future is that uh, the economy is stronger than most people anticipated. That's exactly right. And it's counterintuitive when you first hear that news, but that's exactly how, how it works. And that's traditionally been the case. Jim Holtzman, president and CEO of Legend Financial Advisors in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us today. Get more of his thoughts on Twitter or X at James Holtzman. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, tips for planning a destination wedding. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and this afternoon we're putting the spotlight on destination weddings and strategies to make it a success. Let's get some help from Juliet Huddy, travel vlogger, curator at JetSetJulietTravels.com. Also check out our YouTube channel. Jet Set Juliet and on X at Jet Set Juliet. But right now, she's on the Noon Business Hour. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get, first Thank off, you. let's kind of define what a destination wedding is because um, I, I went to a wedding in Beacon, New York two years ago. Yes. Uh, Lovely town. It's a great town. I mean, you, you can ride up the Metro North, up the Hudson River. It's a beautiful uh, a beautiful sights along the way. And of course, uh, you can take in the uh, vast cornucopia of smells uh, in New York as you take the bus from LaGuardia to the train. So it's quite the experience. Um, yes. But they, they got married in Beacon because they live in Brooklyn. And it's it was it was a destination wedding to us, but not to them. So what's the de- the, the definition of a destination wedding? Well, a destination wedding pretty much is um, it's, it's when you want to create an experience over the course of several days for your wedding with lots of activities for everyone, as opposed to just four to six hours at one venue, that's a destination wedding. And that's a great choice if that's what you want to do. But there are, first of all, let's just say I'm fairly savvy when it comes to weddings, as I've had a few, including I actually had one destination wedding. So I do know firsthand what to expect. And there are just some basic things, Rob, that you have to consider before you book so that you don't get burned. One of the big questions is just simply ask yourself, is a destination wedding even right for us? One of my colleagues who specializes in destination weddings always 
asks the bride and the groom separately if their future spouse is a control freak. Because if you're a control freak, a destination wedding is a nightmare. You're going to be asked to choose the flowers, the linens, the table setup, the food, all of that. I mean, unless you're planning on making a trip down in person to do all this, all of that has to be done from either pictures or video. And if that freaks you out, a destination wedding is not for you. Planning a wedding is very stressful. You don't want to increase the potential for disaster. Um, Another thing is ask yourself why you want a destination wedding. Like I said, if you want to create an experience over several days versus just a few hours at one venue, then yeah, destination wedding is great. If you want to increase the chances that everyone on your guest list shows up, a destination wedding is a terrible choice. (laughs) Because really, I mean, if you want to control the size of your wedding, maybe you want to invite a lot of people, but you simply you can't really afford to pay for all of them. You might want to consider a destination wedding. Um, Because let's face it, not everybody is going to be able to show up or, or wants to show up on their vacation time, their limited vacation time for your wedding. No offense. So a destination wedding kind of ensures that people that are the most meaningful to you will most likely show up. Um, I I say definitely if you want to book a destination wedding, if you want to save money, that's the way to go. According to the website, The Knot, it's a wedding website, the average cost, (laughs) listen to this, this is crazy, of a wedding here in the U.S. And I'm not talking about Chicago or New York or L.A. I'm talking average the average wedding in the U.S. costs twenty-five dollars to $45,000. That's just the average. The average destination wedding costs between twelve dollars and $18,000. And the reason is that it's typically cheaper because hotels and resorts reward brides and grooms for bringing a, you know, a ton of guests their way. And they do this by throwing in lots of extra perks and amenities. So you'll have not only the venue and the food and the drinks, but you'll have maybe the rehearsal dinner paid for, your suite, the flowers, even the wedding planner included in your package price. And then, and that's a big deal. How has, uh, I mean, uh, what's the state of destination weddings now? Because I know COVID scrambled the plans for so many people and it forced people to to reschedule or get married on a Friday or a Sunday or whatever date was available. And did that extend to destination weddings or do people have destination weddings because then they can actually get the date they want? It's like, if if you want to have that Saturday, uh, that's fine, but you keep in mind you're getting married next to an act volcano that kind of thing well yeah Yeah, all of that stuff comes into play and i have to say because people were just you know they they just were denied for two years because of covid they're excited to get out there and they want to travel and destination weddings are very hot i think it's really important and i say this not to push myself but it is important to hire a professional um i wouldn't tell you to do this if i didn't think it was crucial to hire a travel expert to help you with the logistics you know, you're going to have the hotel or the resort's wedding planner for the destination portion of it. But trying to coordinate 20 to 50 to 100 guests, getting there is brutal. Um, a travel agent or a consultant will help you get better rates, make sure everything goes smoothly. You don't want to show up two days before your wedding not realizing that your destination requires a blood test 72 hours in advance. <laughs> you just blew it. You want to make sure you're clear on whether this is a legal or a symbolic wedding. I mean, my husband and I were planning on getting married in Italy, but the ceremony there for non-Italian residents is symbolic. You have to first go to the city hall to get legally married. And we wanted it to be like, you know, Juliet, John, you are married. And we wanted that to be the legal thing. So we just decided to get married here. But all of that stuff needs to be considered. And that's why you really have to do your due diligence in, in picking a destination wedding choice and who's going to be helping you with it.
Yes, it can all. It can't always be Emily in Paris. Juliet Huddy, travel vlogger and curator at JetSetJulietTravels.com. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, an effort to identify images so users know they're AI-generated. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Facebook parent company Meta says it will add labels to images that have been generated by artificial intelligence. We're joined by Ina Fr- Chief Technology Correspondent for the news site Axios, based in San Francisco. Ina, thank you for joining us today. And so far, I have to say, Ina, I have not been impressed with the quality of AI images so far. There's a great deal of fear about deep fakes, especially uh, coming up in an election year. But right now, it seems there are dead giveaways that something has been generated by AI uh, even before the labels come in. Strange-looking fingers and possibly people with three arms. Yeah, I mean, certainly if you see a photo of uh, somebody that's supposedly a supporter of a candidate and they have three arms, that's a big red flag. I do think the technology is going to be increasingly successful at looking real. Um, It's just the kind of thing that the AI technology is good at, especially when you have somebody who speaks as often as the political candidates. So I think there's two different issues. One is how good is AI at general art? And I think there's a lot of feelings and issues and whether it's a copycat and all that. And then there's the democracy question of how good is it at faking famous people? And I think those are two different but both really important conversations. And the hard part, I think, when it comes to clamping down on what we call fake news or online misinformation is like there's both a supply side of it and a demand side. And the tech companies can cut down on the supply side, but they can't really change the fact that a lot of people want to believe something, whether it's true or not. Well, that's that's absolutely true. And that's something we need to work on through other means. I think, you know, a lot of people are pushing media literacy and other efforts to be part of schooling and, and certainly educating us as adults as well. Um, but to your point, if people want to believe it, it's hard. And that's really the tough spot we're in is these increasingly capable fakes are coming at a time when, as a society, we're increasingly susceptible to them. We were having a big truth problem before AI, so it's no surprise that AI is making that worse. Uh, is there a point, though, where there there seems to be kind of an uncanny valley aspect to AI-generated images? They're good. Uh, they, they're certainly of high quality, but there's just something off about them, which also seems to be uh, a giveaway to my eye. I think there is when you're talking about art that's generated from scratch from AI. I think one of the challenges that is here is if what you're talking about is editing, if what you're talking about is making somebody real appear to say something they never said, the technology is better than, for example, what I get when I typed a prompt into Midjourney or Adobe Firefly or something else, because you have the original source uh, material and so much of it, you know, particularly if we're talking about Biden or Trump or some other famous celebrity, the technology to make them say something they never said is more than uncanny valley good. Whereas, again, if it's you or me creating art, there's still a chance we create a third arm. Ina Freed, Chief Technology Correspondent for the news site Axios, based in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.